Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I think the most excited Christian, the most committed Christian, is the Christian who lives in this way, with their eyes on the Lord, their mind stayed on the Lord, their view is through the lens of eternal life. Everything is, if you will, run through that template, that grid of the eternal. What will this mean eternally? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. It can be so easy to become discouraged and lose sight of what's important in the midst of struggles. Pastor J.D. encourages us to keep our eyes on Christ and His eternal promises. In staying focused on these things, we're able to push through trials and live out Christ's plan for our lives. We are to keep our eyes on the prize, the imperishable crown. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with his message entitled, Spiritual Stamina. All right, let's get into the Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today, our text will be verses 9 through 13. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 9, and we'll read through to verse 13. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and says, verse 9, So we make it our goal to please Him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether whether good or bad. Since then, verse 11, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If, verse 13, we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Today's teaching is going to be part one of a series I've titled Spiritual Stamina. If you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, you've really come to appreciate the indomitable spirit of the Apostle Paul. I say indomitable because in spite of the unspeakable adversity in his life, Paul never burned out. Paul never gave up. He never tossed in the towel. He kept his hands to the plow and he kept pressing on to the high calling and he had his eyes on the prize. He just had this unflinching and unwavering commitment. And you got to (laughs) wonder, I mean, this stamina, this, this endurance on the part of the Apostle Paul begs the question of both how and even why he was able to do this. What was his secret? 
In part, he answers this in his second epistle to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he says this, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also, and I love this, to all who have loved his appearing, longing for, even aching for, the appearing, the return of the Lord. I believe that this is one of the main reasons that Paul never burned out. This is the main reason to me that he never gave up. He lived his life in light of eternal life. He always had the eternal in view, his eyes fixed on that which was unseen, not that which was and is seen, not on the temporal, but on the eternal. And he longed for the Lord's return. I think the most excited Christian, the most committed Christian, is the Christian who lives in this way, with their eyes on the Lord, their mind stayed on the Lord. Their view is through the lens of eternal life. Everything is, if you will, run through that template, that grid of the eternal. What will this mean eternally? It's been said that soon one life will be passed, but it's only that which is done for Christ that will last. I suppose you could say that contrary to what Mark Twain said, Paul had become so heavenly minded that he was of such earthly good. Mark Twain, of course, said it the other way, that you can become so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Well, respectfully, I would beg to differ. I see it exactly the opposite. The more heavenly minded we are, the more earthly good we'll be. And as such, the Apostle Paul becomes for us an example to us, and in so doing, he shows us his secret, if you will, to his spiritual stamina. His first secret is in verse 9. He lived to please God and not man. One thing that could never be said of the Apostle Paul and that was that he was a man-pleaser. He was not a man-pleaser. In verse 9, he tells them that in light of the new body awaiting us, we keep going, we keep pressing on, because we've made it our goal to please God. I imagine the Apostle Paul asking himself introspectively, is this pleasing in the sight of the Lord? If it's not pleasing in the sight of the Lord, I want nothing to do with it. If it pleases God, count me in. That was Paul. One of the most valuable lessons that I'm learning in my own personal walk with the Lord is that living your life to please man will eventually crush you. It will eventually crush you. If the goal of my life is to seek and win the approval of man, the applaud, the accolades of man. It's really only a matter of time 
before I'm crushed under the weight and the pressure of living that way. Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, rhetorically asks in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? You can almost detect a sanctified cynicism, as it's been called. Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, if I'm a man pleaser, I, I certainly cannot please God. It's, it's not both. It's either or. It's one or the other. And I would venture to say that proportionate to how I live my life to please God, I will proportionately displease man. And conversely, if I'm living my life to please man, to be a man pleaser, proportionately I will be displeasing to God because of it. There's an interesting account in the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. We're told about those who believed in Jesus, but they would not publicly confess Jesus. And the reason is, is because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. It says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Which is interesting, because when you talk to non-believers, they'll almost without exception say, oh, I believe in God. To which I usually respond, well, um, so do the demons, and they tremble. That doesn't really work very well evangelically when I it's sharing the Lord. It kind of you know is met with a stunned look, but it's true. The demons believe in God. That's not the challenge here. The challenge here is confessing Him and publicly professing Him. And we're told that they didn't do that. It says, but because of the Pharisees, they feared man. They did not confess Him lest they be put out of the synagogue. And here's why. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. You can be trapped in this man-pleasing fear of man. No Christian should ever live their lives in that place, that man-pleasing place. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The second secret to Paul's spiritual stamina is that he kept his eyes on the prize. He didn't waver this way. He didn't waver that way. His eyes were fixed ahead on the prize that was set before him. In verse 10, he says that, I think by way of a reminder, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we've done, whether it's good or bad. Now, it's important to understand that Paul is not referring to the great white throne judgment. There's going to be two judgment seats at the end. The great white throne judgment is for the non-believer, those who never accepted Jesus Christ and were never born again. 
and they will be recompensed according to that which they've done. What Paul's referring to here is the Bema seat of Christ. It's very different. Picture in your mind's eye the Olympics. And you have the judges seated there judging so as to give the reward to the winner. This is what Paul has in mind. And the Corinthians would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, where he actually refers to the Olympic Games of that day. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? There's only one gold medal. There's only one crown. He says, Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. And he's speaking of that perishable wreath that they would put over in the Olympics of that day, the winner. They would crown them with that perishable wreath. That's what they do it for. But Paul contrasts it and says, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul had spiritual stamina because he kept his eyes on the prize. The third reason Paul never burned out is because he knew what it is to fear the Lord. This is going to require us to really think through, because it's not what it might seem at first read. In verse 11, he says, since they know what it is to fear the Lord. Notice he doesn't say, we fear the Lord. He doesn't say that. He says, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That changes everything. Changes the whole complexion of what he's saying. And he's saying, for this reason, we try to persuade others, hoping it is also plain to their conscience. Now, in order to better understand what Paul is saying here, I think it would be helpful to first understand what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that he fears the Lord will punish him if he doesn't remain faithful. That's not the fear of the Lord that he's talking about. He's talking about his fear that he would grieve the Lord in being unfaithful. Please don't miss this. This is huge. This is huge. Let me share how one commentator put it. It's very well said. The fear of the Lord motivated Paul in ministry. This was not fear that God would hurt him, but rather that he would hurt God. Think about that. You know that it's possible to grieve the heart of God? You know that it's possible to hurt the heart of Almighty God? And that's what Paul feared. He feared that he would hurt God through his sin and stupidity. Having been caught up into the third heaven, Paul knew that one day we will all stand before the lion of the tribe of Judah and see him in his majesty and love. 
Paul wanted to spare anyone from saying, why did I waste my time on that hobby? Spend my money on that insignificant trinket? Squander my energy so foolishly? Why did I take so lightly that which Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary? One of the things that I'm learning, along with all the other things I'm learning, is that God ruins you for Himself. God ruins your plans for His. God breaks your will for His will. God ruins you for the call that He has on your life. And certainly this was true of the Apostle Paul. Now, it's when you view the fear of God through this lens, this lens of, I fear that I'm going to grieve the Lord. I fear that my life in some way is going to become displeasing in the sight of the Lord. And I don't want to do that to Him. I don't want to grieve Him. I don't want to displease Him. When you get into the Proverbs concerning the fear of the Lord, it comes into a clearer focus. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Think of fear as birthing wisdom. Fear is the commencement of that wisdom from above. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Think about that. Evil grieves the heart of Almighty God. And to fear the Lord and fear grieving the Lord is to hate evil. See how that comes into clearer focus now when you see it through the lens of that understanding of like the Apostle Paul knowing what it is to fear the Lord? It says pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. I hate. And arrogance. Think about this. God is humble. You ever thought of it like that? God is humble. He is humble and that's why He opposes the proud and knows them from afar off, the Proverbs says. A, a humble God cannot be close to an arrogant man. And is it not true that the closer we walk with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus, and the more we become like Jesus, the more humble we become, because that's like Jesus. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, there's this template, if you will, this, this lens with which we view our Christian lives in this world. And that was the secret to Paul's spiritual stamina. The fourth and final one we'll look at today is in verses 12 and 13. And it's that Paul didn't take false accusations to heart. He didn't take criticism, unjust criticism, to heart. In verse 12 he says that they're not trying to commend themselves again. 
Rather, he wants them to take pride in them so that they can answer their critics, which it appears there were many. In verse 13, he goes on to say that if we're out of our mind, uh, as it appears again, some were accusing them of, we're out of our mind for God. I think one has called it crazy for Christ. (laughs) Can I get a witness on being crazy for Christ? (laughs) I know that you think, some think, and we've been accused of being out of our minds. You know what? It's for God. If we're out of our minds, fine. It's as unto the Lord. (laughs) If it's that we're in our right minds, then it's for you. Now, Paul doesn't say this so that he can boast. He's telling them this so they can answer those who were criticizing them and accusing them. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the fastest ways for Satan to take us down, this would have to be right at the top of the list. And it's so sad because the enemy is met with success in the life of a Christian by using those with a critical and accusatory spirit of antagonism. Over the years I've personally witnessed this dynamic destroy families, marriages, and worse yet, church families. And I've seen it more times than I care to remember. Paul didn't take things to heart. You can't, especially in ministry. You won't survive long having a hypersensitive spirit. It's been said that if you're going to survive in ministry, whatever the call is that God has on your life, you have to have the heart of a child, the mind of a scholar, and the height of a rhinoceros. (laughs) You cannot have thin skin. You won't make it very far at all. I don't want to end on such a sour note, so I'll close with a quote from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. This book has been a tremendous resource and reference in my library. I oftentimes refer to it. Speaking of the Savior, Jones writes, how did Jesus do it? Think about that for a second. I mean, yes, the Apostle Paul finished well. He he fought the good fight. He received the prize. He made it. He did it against unspeakable odds, but infinitely more the Savior did. We are so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you'd like to learn more about the Apostle Paul's letter, we encourage you to continue reading ahead. As you do, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truths and promises contained in its verses to you. You can also hear additional messages from Pastor J.D. on this book by visiting our website, InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Listen online or download these teachings to have available anytime. We've also created a mobile app as well for Apple and Android devices, so you can take Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you on the go. We'd also like to point you to the Aloha Prophecy Update tab on our website. And with more information, here's Pastor J.D. 
Thank you, Josh. One of the main reasons we do these prophecy updates is that we believe the rapture of the church can happen at any time. In fact, it may actually be closer than we even realize with all the things that are taking place in the world today. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said that when we see these things begin to come to pass, that we should look up and lift up our heads, knowing that our redemption draws nigh. We believe that Jesus was referring to that which is now happening in the world, especially geopolitically. It's my hope and prayer that these prophecy updates will be a source of encouragement to you as a listener, not only to ready you and steady you, but to share with others the lateness of the hour in these the last days of human history as we know it. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you will join us every week here at In Spirit and Truth Radio. Thanks, Pastor J.D. Head on over to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com to access these updates. And be sure to join us next time on In Spirit and Truth for more from the book of 2 Corinthians.